Bujari Gamarawa, and if you're learning alongside me, that is good day in Gadigal. I acknowledge the unceded land that I am on, Gadigal country, as part of the Eora Nation, and pay my immense respects and gratitude to elders past, present, and emerging as the true custodians of this land that I'm on. My name is Nadia Felsch. I'm a fat-positive feminist nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counsellor, and in this podcast, we explore the practical aspects of leaving the diet mentality behind and finding your own food and body freedom. This is part two of my body acceptance story. And in it, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about what my unraveling and my unpacking and my unlearning looks like, where I've come to and what I see in reality TV reflected as such a a poignant example of the shackles. Enjoy. Over the last couple of years, as clothes have ceased fitting me, clothes that I love, as my body has felt different to live in and to look at, I have been challenged every step of the way. I have felt like at times I've needed to hide in clothes and I have to cover myself up. You know, I'm too old for that. I'm not thin enough for that. I've gotten Botox multiple times to feel better about the aging that I see on my forehead and, and I feel better until I don't again. You know, every injury that I've had, which is a lot <laughs> in 18 years as a hypermobile human, I have had to face and come up against my own internalized ableism. I told you, I told you I'd come back to competition and ability. So even as I was unlearning all that I was, and it was a lot, I was still challenged by, for instance, my own performance with my body, my function of my body. How could I be bigger and softer, but also slower? Like both can't be okay. How can I not be as strong even as I was last session or stronger? I had so much criticism about the way my body worked. This came up with chronic illness. This came up with mental health. I had so much discomfort around all of this. And all of this interacts with and intersects with how I saw myself, how I showed up every day in my body, and it was rough. However, alongside these challenges over, you know, especially the last four years, my life has become bigger and grander and shinier. I've begun exploring parts of myself that I never thought I would I think case in point is that I reclaimed my my stories of sexual violence as a survivor in 2021, something I never, I never had shared. I never thought I would. I have built a business that sustains me, that supports the growth of women and non-binary folk in their relationship to food and body. I have established my feminist and anti-oppressive voice in my life, in the face of cultural norms that tell me not to do that, not speak up, not say the things I'm saying. I have committed to evolving the dynamics in my own family and and in my friendships and investing in those to experience such depth and richness in ways I could only have imagined in the past. I've also experienced a development of my own emotional expression, my vulnerability, my my comprehension. I have experienced incredible, you know, moments of mindfulness in my life, presence, self-compassion. I am more comfortable asserting boundaries, more comfortable, not totally comfortable, (laughs) And, and also challenging the parts of my life that I felt like 
I was going with, you know, autopilot to my own detriment. I think one of the most beautiful aspects of the last couple of years is offering myself space and time, even when it's challenging to be, to rest, to, to exist. I had begun and I have continued to both see myself as more than my body, but also that vision and that, that new imagining allowed for me to feel and live that that was true, that I was more than my body, that I always have been. And my multiple privileged identities mean that my body size itself, the ability of my body, the color of my skin, even as things have shifted with ability, with size, with aging, none of that has led to marginalization or discrimination in my life. So everything is going to be made easier because of those privileges. That's the definition of it. So I can find clothes pretty easily, not fully easily, but pretty easily. I receive healthcare mostly without a a weight bias. I can go to the gym. I can be left in peace mostly. And this experience, my experience is going to shape the way that I have navigated body acceptance. So in late 2022, I was fully vaccinated. I was masked up and I returned to the gym after not going through those kind of first years of COVID-19. So I kind of went back and then I stopped. I returned cautiously, um, both COVID related and also considering this work that I had been doing internally, you know, it was kind of odd to go to that same gym that I had had so many harmful and harsh experiences in. It was weird. I noticed immediately how out of place I felt this identity that I had had in some ways for so long, this, this gym identity, I guess I wrote at the time it, it had gone. It wasn't how I saw myself. And that felt actually quite exposing in the past. I, I wrote at the time I could have shown up with confidence and gusto because in part I felt like I was best. And, and that's actually hard to acknowledge in part, in the past, it was because I was, as I said before, the healthy, the fit one, the thin, the, the ripped individual, even though, you know, that's subjective. In part, it was because in a previous time and identity, I was young. And now I'm not really much of any of those things. So who am I here in this space? Do I fit? Do I belong? This was really confronting. I felt really uncomfortable. And it was a great opportunity to consider where I had come to in my self-view, my my self-acceptance. I acknowledged that the discomfort was a loss of identity and all the things I mentioned that I'm not and I won't be. I'm not getting younger. I'm probably not getting thinner or any of those other things. And that's hard. That is so human that it's hard. I didn't know how I could be at the gym and not be that because I had kind of always been that or at least I had felt that way. And I made some really big realizations at that moment. This is, you know, really the story that the point where my story comes full circle. Thank you for listening this far. Even with these elements of my identity in the past being present and, and yes, they added to my confidence, you know, very specifically in that gym environment, it felt like I fit there. I still never really feel like I did fit. I, I still was never enough. It was never enough. However, I achieved or looked, I never was enough. So yes, there is a discomfort in the loss of identity that I experienced. And there was exposure and discomfort in finding my footing 
And yet, what about all the gains? My self-view and my identity now has a depth and a resilience way more, unimaginably more than when it was rooted in what I have shared, in my appearance, in, in being, quote unquote, the healthy one, the fit one, the young one. That was actually so fickle to feeling great, to, to having self-worth and, and adequacy. In the past, you know, when my, when my identity was wrapped up so much in my appearance as my value and therefore my focus, combined with as well the privileged identities that I hold as a white, thin, cis, able woman, that meant it was easy for me in many ways because I was validated for my appearance and, and what I was doing was for a, a lifetime almost, I bought into that validation. I kept centering how I got it or how I could keep getting it. And that means keep putting my appearance there, keep putting my appearance there to get that validation to feel okay. And that's what it is to pursue the cultural norms of thinness for validation, acceptance, enoughness. It centers that in your life and, and, it, it, it can be providing of those things until you either can't sustain it or other things occur like, you know, we just get older. That can be validating. And, and, and I never felt for a moment how I feel now. Never in the gym or anywhere else did that validation that I did get, that I did feel, that was reflected to me, never did that provide me with what I have now where I don't pursue where I don't center my appearance as my focus in my life. But, and, and let's be specific. It's appearance to the male gaze, catering to the male gaze. I still, all of those years that I, that I more appropriately upheld the male gaze perspective of appearance, the Eurocentric beauty ideals, the body ideals, I still never felt enough. Never, not once. And it was so tenuous. It was hanging on by a thread. And now, now that it's not centered, I know I am enough. Even when I don't like my body, mostly according to the male gaze norms, or when I feel invisible as a 37-year-old woman who, you know, society has no use for. I'm not, I'm not as young or as thin as I was even when I feel the softness of my body in a way that I didn't in the past, it wasn't there. I see a photo that shocks me. Like, do I look like that? You know that feeling. Even when I see someone from the past and I, I know I look different than I did. And through all of this, I talked about the fact that I never even kind of in the most harmful periods of this, particularly in my 20s, I never felt that my partner didn't accept me because of those changes, whatever those changes looked like. And that held strong. That that kept coming up for me. Like, will he still find this attractive? I've changed. I'm older. And because our relationship was never rooted in appearance, because that's not his focus and that's not mine, I know it's enough. I know I am enough. And I know that our relationship is more than that. When I reflect on my story, my journey, in many ways, it is less about the specific struggles that it took to, you know, the, the disordered habits, as you might call them. It's less about, in, in, in this case, in this story, about those specific things that it took to, you know, look a certain way. And more, 
And I really, like, I feel like I really want to share this, that even when I was there, quote unquote, when I, when I was in that place where I was closer to those ideals, I wasn't in the place that we have been taught that we will get to. You know what I'm talking about when we are thin enough, when we are attractive enough, when that body and appearance is there, I, that, that place, I never got there. It wasn't real. I was actually more fixated and more aware of how I looked hyper, hyper focused, how I looked in photos, the more energy that I was putting into my appearance. I wasn't less focused. I wasn't more confident. The confidence I did have, and I did have it, it actually, I I only had it when I felt like the photo was good enough and it was very rarely good enough or when some certain clothing size I fit into, it wasn't deeply felt in who I am. It wasn't about my inherent worth and that's freaking exhausting. It was so exhausting. Every single photo, I was consumed with tensing, holding, flexing my body so I could look as good as possible and I still didn't think they were good enough and I still didn't feel like I was in that place. Even if objectively from the outside, maybe it looked like I was. Even again, when when I was more closer to those ideals, in thinness, in in youth, in body shape. And sometimes, you know, really in in some ways because of that, you know, the standards that we hold ourselves to, I I in, in many ways was more happy with how I looked than I can be today because I was closer to those ideals and that's that's what we, you know, that's what we compare ourselves to. But the limits to this are immense and they are going to be benefited from critical analysis. So the positive feels that I had, that I experienced, I I did. They were constrained to what I looked like, how I saw myself, how I perceived others were perceiving me, but also comparison as well, because comparison is huge. She's prettier than me, according to the male gaze that we all as women have internalized. We apply to ourselves, we apply to others, and this upholds the whole damn patriarchal mess to begin with. So, so she's prettier. Let's, let's actually spell out what that means. It means I'm saying I'm less than, I'm worth less. And under patriarchy, that is true. That is true in a system where women are pitted against each other in service of men. And yet, Unlearning internalized misogyny, which is what that is, means I don't compare. There is no need for it in my world. I am not in competition with anyone, certainly not with other women, and certainly not for the praise and for the attention of men. No, no, absolutely not. If there are hot women around me, hot according to me, and and my, you know, my idea of beauty has expanded exponentially as I've unlearned the male gaze but also even hot according to the male gaze. I know, I know what that looks like. Fabulous. Hot women around me, fabulous. I celebrate you. I celebrate women. I am not in competition with anyone. You know when little girls make fun of other little girls for being confident or about what they're wearing or what they're saying? Adult women do it too. This is internalized misogyny. This upholds patriarchal and white supremacist values of beauty and of how we are in the world, who is okay and who is not. And this keeps us all down. This keeps us all trapped, even those apparently at the top of the pile. So whilst we're critiquing what a woman weighs and what a woman wears, we all suffer. I feel like I need to put that on a t-shirt. I like that. And I am powerful as fuck 
from having opted out of that. That's power. So I seek to intentionally celebrate and hold up women. There is not a competition. There is space for all of us to be brilliant and excellent. And us. Don't let patriarchy convince you otherwise. I want to lean on a reality TV show parallel here because it is very on brand for me and I really help, I I think helpful as well. So this year I have watched every season, I think it's only four or five, you know, not that many, every season of The Real Housewives of Miami. And I have brought my critical thinking every step of the way. So I have observed how everyone on this particular show, this particular franchise buys so much into, invests so heavily into the norms that I've spent and just kind of shared with you, I've spent a decade or so unpacking and divesting from. I have found it fascinating to see the realities, no pun intended, that because of their appearances and adherence to the norms and expectations of how women should should be and present, the women on this show do hold power you know, by being on the show, they're powerful. They have significant opportunities, exposure for their businesses, their brands. They are being validated. They are being held up. They are being celebrated. And their need to keep investing in the focus on their appearance is critical to all of that staying up and together. They cannot age. They cannot have changing bodies They have to be 100% on point with everything about their appearance, their clothing, everything, their grooming. How exhausting, how shackling, especially because that presentation is not going to appeal to everyone at all times. Now, I completely acknowledge what I've just shared is observational. I can't know, and I don't claim to know how anyone else feels. But as a feminist, I don't believe that I am free and liberated until we all are, which is something that the radical feminist and and writer Audre Lorde spoke to. You know, we think, we think because we've been told that it will be this grand, fulfilling, brilliant place if we look right. And it will never be that way. Even if we do all the physical contortions and manipulations in the world, even if we conform to thin politics, it will never be that place. It's not real. There isn't a place where you're never challenged, that you live without discomfort. That's not human. Seeing one of the cast members, so on Miami, there's a cast member called Nicole, and she fits, you know, really almost perfectly into the beauty ideals, the the Eurocentric beauty ideals, and yet by her own admission, I think it was on the latest season, by her own admission, she drank juice and ate no food for a whole week just to fit her really, you know, tight, short party dress. It never ends. I'm pretty sure she's in her 50s. It doesn't end at any age. And even here in this show, in this place of privilege and beauty norm adherence and upholding, it doesn't end there either because aligning to ideals is not self-acceptance, is not self-worth, is not liberation. It is still conforming to and measuring your value against what? The male gaze. Do I look how I'm meant to look? And we will always, we will always remain stuck no matter how many privileges we attain from that pursuit. And let's be clear of that difference and move forward with that knowledge. So you can think of this. I've been, I've been kind of like manifesting on this a little bit. 
You can think of this like a reformist approach and an abolitionist approach, which more and more is how I view so many experiences in the world. And I'm certainly filtering more of my own choices and decisions through. So, you know, stay with me. A reformist approach about this in this sense is that the ideals of bodies have expanded. And, and I would say in my lifetime where that, that has happened, I, I can see that it's happened. So there are, for instance, more some, some more fat bodies reflected in media and in entertainment, just, just as a place to start. We are seeing more aging bodies, particularly women's, disabled bodies, more trans bodies, more black, more brown bodies. They are more visible than previously, but they are not nearly enough. And, and they are also not visible without constant freaking discourse and challenge. Think of, okay, so Lizzo is both famous visible, but also highly criticized for her body. And this, of course, all trickles down to the lack of representations, again, in media, but in all industries, but also in the accommodations as well. So for example, with clothing, a reformist approach is about, you know, bettering a system that we, that we already have. And, and that isn't enough. It is still in this example, it is still centering body as everything. And it still has a sense of hierarchy and that system sucks. So an abolitionist approach to me, from my perspective, when I think of this about bodies, I think of bodies as all being truly the same. And I I mean the same in value and the same in worth. And therefore, we give them the consideration that they require about care and consideration of them in the world, of, of access, whatever. And at the same time, bodies, you know, just overall in society, bodies are both cool because they are cool and they're important that we think about them and and we have their needs met, but also they're just not that big of a deal otherwise. There's certainly not a way that we group together humans, that we judge, that we critique, that we moralize humans. No, that's gone. Who gets opportunities? Who's worthy enough? You can hear the difference, right, between reformist and abolitionist. Where we learn in in both implicit and explicit ways to look a certain way in order to fit, to belong, to be enough, to be worthy in this world. Who and, and what are we even without that focus? Women and, and non-binary folk have been given a tiny freaking box to fit into, both metaphorically and, and literally. And so instead, without that focus of our appearance being everything that we are, what what might we do? Do we pursue joy and fulfillment, true fulfillment? Do we explore parts of ourselves and our experiences that we've maybe put on hold or have not had capacity for? That absolutely happened for me. Do we open ourselves, and this also has happened to me, to other humans who see us more as our bodies and and vice versa? Do we see humans beyond their bodies generally? And, and what does that mean for our collective world, for peace? Do we stumble upon increasing acceptance of our body, which again does not mean we don't have challenging moments and experiences, but, but we are able to reclaim it as our own really cool, you know, vessel that we move through this world in. We, we've, we also can kind of move through this unlearning of, of anti-fatness, of, of Eurocentric ideals, of the male gaze being all important. Because we all have always deserved more than the shackling that we were born into. I can truly say with the utmost confidence that 
I felt when I identified and and when I was validated as pretty or as attractive, I never felt like I feel mostly now in my life. It never lasted. It always felt, I said this, it felt like I was hanging on by a thread because it, the moment someone else wouldn't reflect that validation back to me, it was gone. Like it was gone. Someone else would turn up to the party, to the restaurant. They would look better by comparison in the limited view that I was holding. I was one bad photo away every day from a spiral. And this was all I had to view my experiences by. And now life has expanded. What I look like is not at the center of anything, nor is how anyone else looks. And it's, it's not, it's not funny, but it kind of is how that works, right? To now quote Audre Lorde, I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own end quote. In the notes for this episode, I've included some brilliant resources that I recommend to my clients working on their own body acceptance. I've also included the link to register for Beyond Beauty, a live free masterclass that I'm hosting on August 17th at 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. A replay will be available for everyone who registers, so save your spot now. From this masterclass, I look forward to you gaining perspective shifts and a deeper understanding around your body journey in order to move beyond beauty norms, body standards, and embrace your current body with compassion and confidence. For all of those links, head to my website, which is nadiafelsch.com forward slash podcast, or find the link in your podcast player. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to my story and my words. I am noticing I am almost hearing saying that because it's a lot to share it. And I hope so much, truly, that it was of value to you as you consider your own story. I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye.